0: Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. Well, I should have probably said, welcome back, finally to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. I know it's been a long time since we had an episode in this feed. Uh, I obviously have ignored the podcast a little bit while, while working to uh, maintain my Twitter feed, uh, try to establish my Patreon, and uh, most importantly, move the book forward, which I think I've done uh, in the last few months. Uh, this episode actually comes out of, uh, of some of that work. Uh, during my research process, I'm surprised how often patterns emerged that I had no consciousness of. Uh, This summer, uh, I had a run of topics that crossed my desk that were all related in an interesting way. Three schools crossed my radar, very closely following one another that really didn't have much to do with each other. They are very different, but they shared one common thread. They weren't standard public schools or parochial schools or consolidated schools that you know kind of what I think of as the three biggest batches of schools in Nebraska. Uh, They were schools with a special mission Uh, but all three tied their hands at NSAA competition uh, for part of their history. These three were the Shadron Pine Ridge Job Corps High School, which of course was mostly funded at the national level, the state's Youth Rehabilitation and Treatment Center's West Kearney High School, state-funded, And Heartland High School, a locally created uh, alternative school in Omaha. I should have said Omaha Heartland High School. Of course, there's a consolidated Heartland High School in Henderson. Uh, The Omaha Heartland High School existed in the 1980s, and all three tried state athletic competition before deciding maybe that wouldn't be a part of their mission. They got me thinking about the other non-traditional schools that have dropped in and out of the Nebraska prep, prep sports scenes over the years some having a big effect, Uh, others just ripples. I thought I would work through those schools that I know of and and what I know about their athletic histories and try to put the puzzle pieces together uh, for some of the rest. And I discovered a few along the way. Okay, so I wanna run through these schools and uh, we're gonna be jumping around in geography and in time uh, as we go through these uh, histories. Uh, I'm going to start with the three I already mentioned, and then uh, uh, I see a few patterns of different types of schools these are, and so I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, But let's start up in the Midwest part of the state in the middle of the 1960s. Shadron Pine Ridge Job Corps High School was opened in 1965 by the federal government. The Roadrunners, now that's a good nickname, were primarily a basketball school, but they also had a wrestling team and maybe ran some track. Uh, there, I don't find a lot of historical evidence. Uh, there was talk of starting football in the early days of the school, but I couldn't find any evidence that they ever competed in that interscholastically. Uh, the best roadrunner group may have been the 1983 basketball team that finished the year 13-4. and four. They lost to Ogallala uh, in the first round of Class B districts. Uh, PRJC uh, competed in Class C in their early years, and uh, their regular season schedules always fit that better, but NSAA rules required that all students be counted, even though many of the Job job Corps students were too old to be eligible for NSAA competition, and that pushed them into Class B. That was listed by the administration, uh, along with the Reagan-era funding cuts, as why the interscholastic program was dropped in the mid-'80s. According to folks in the Shadron area, the school continued to field basketball teams, uh, but they competed in the Shadron City Men's League uh, a couple times winning the league. Uh, The school is still going strong south of Shadron, but they've not competed in the NSAA for decades. The next school I discovered this summer was West Kearney High School. Uh, Though I uh, have always known of the State Department of Health and Human Services Center at Kearney, which uh, in the school we always refer to as YRTC, uh, the high school component is actually accredited still today as West Kearney High School, and they competed in several sports, including football, for several decades. Uh, in the 60s, the Vikings were competing in Class C basketball districts uh, when Crosstown Private School Kearney Catholic was still in Class D. Uh, I've seen football scores for West Kearney all the way back to the 1930s but their biggest success statewide was in wrestling in the 1960s. Uh, The Vikings won 18 state medals uh, from 18 different wrestlers. That's a pretty incredible record in just seven years from 61 to 67, in an era where, remember, only the top four medaled at state. All of those were in Class B until the Vikes moved to Class C uh, in 1967, that last year of the run. Uh, while they produced several runners-up, the only West Kearney state champion was Jim Thornton at 154 pounds in 1963. Uh, I think 67-68 was the last year West Carney competed interscholastically. Uh, like I said, West Kearney High is still accredited and educating at YRTC, but they don't show up on the scoreboards anymore. Uh, I think that makes Jim Thornton Uh, You know, the best athlete ever from West Kearney High School, if we're going to play the goat game here as we go through these. Uh, The third school I ran across this summer was Omaha Heartland High School. Uh, And that seems to have been and maybe actually still is a private alternative school in Omaha. It opened in a converted industrial space and and this is non-confirmed, but possibly that industrial space was also a one time chinchilla ranch in North Omaha. Uh, the Heartland Flames played an eight-man varsity football schedule in the fall of 1989. They scheduled nine road games and were not shying away from tough games. Uh, they traveled to play the Bruning-Davenport Co-op, uh, which called themselves the Bearcats, uh, not the Storm like they did when they later unified the two districts. Uh, and uh, that team, Bruning-Davenport, was a state runners-up that year. Uh, the Flames went 3-5, and five, with a win over a strong Kansas program traditionally, Midway Denton. Uh, Heartland quarterback Kevin Smith also shined on defense and set a state record that he still uh, holds by intercepting six passes in one game. I couldn't find the newspaper accounts of that game, but it was probably in the Flames 50-0 drubbing of Nebraska deaf. Uh They had played a couple of non-varsity games, I know, in 1998. Uh, I've seen accounts of them losing to the West uh, Nottaway Missouri team and of beating uh, the Dodge JV uh, pretty badly, according to a colorful account I got on Twitter. Omaha Heartland had a schedule for 1990, uh, but I believe they forfeited all their games. Uh, Again, they were scheduling the big boys. Uh, They had both defending state eight-man champs, Falls City Sacred Heart and East Butler on the slate. Uh, and again, all the games were to be on the road. Alas, uh, manpower and money shortages seem to have scuttled that season. One newspaper account said that changes in the state's pickle card gambling laws uh, dried up the school's athletic budget. Evidently, they've been funding all their athletics through pickle cards. Uh, the Flames volleyball team played some games in 1990, but does not seem to have appeared in districts. Uh, And that was the end, as far as I can tell, of Heartland Flame Sports in Omaha. But I think the school may still be open, uh, but now in South Omaha and still serving students who need an alternative small high school experience. Those three schools are very different in mission and funding, one federal, one state, and one private. Uh, And they got me thinking about all the other non-traditional schools in the state history. So here's the list I came up with. First, I thought of the granddaddy of them all. Maybe not just in Nebraska, but nationwide. Boys Town. Uh, I've covered the West Dodge Boys history in a couple podcasts. You can go back in the feed and find that. Uh, They are so ubiquitous in Nebraska's prep sports history that sometimes I forget that they're a non-traditional school with a special mission. Uh, But they're not the only alternative high schools in Nebraska. So, uh, like Heartland and like... The much, much bigger story of Boys Town. I thought I'd run through the alternative schools I know of that have competed in NSAA athletics. Uh, The other alternative schools on my list are all from Omaha. First is Omaha Dominion High School, uh, which was open from 1968 to 1983. The Dominion Friars were tough to classify when I was doing this because at first, uh, in a very real way, they were a parochial school run by the Omaha Diocese to replace former parochial school, Omaha Sacred Heart in the North Omaha area. Uh, Sacred Heart had closed because of physical plant problems. And when they opened the new diocese school, they called it um, Omaha Dominion. Now, Dominion was mainly funded by the diocese, but it was a tenuous relationship. uh, And that's how it makes my list. Uh, Many Omaha Catholics uh, had moved west At that point. Uh, And from the beginning, the Dominican student body was about 70% non-Catholic from the first day they opened their doors. The school even had a class in Baptist thought. Um, Just practically, uh, the North Omaha parishes did not have enough people left in the pews to support the school. Uh, Dominican immediately embraced the alternative school role in order to draw enough students. They were kind of unofficially meeting an Omaha public school's need. Uh, When the Reverend James Gilg uh, became the principal in 1970, just just a couple years after the school opened, he carried this a step further, uh, creating the Christian Urban Educational Service, which eventually led to a partnership with Boys Town. Slowly, the school became more of an alternative program and less of a diocese school. When the North Omaha Freeway Project announced that it would run the new expressway directly through Dominican High School, the diocese, Reverend Gilg, and Boys Town saw a chance to make the transition official. Boys Town took over ownership of the school in 1980 and started planning for the move to a new modern campus. Throughout their history, the Friars struggled athletically. For example, they started NSAA volleyball with the rest of the state in 1972, but the Friars didn't win a match until 1975. The best Friar basketball team might have been the very first in 1968 when they returned several Sacred Heart starters from 1967 and were coached by one of Sacred Heart's greatest athletes, Dick Osterhaus. Alas, a promising season was upended by four wins that had to be forfeited because Osterhaus had played an ineligible transfer who turned out to be both too old and in his fifth year of high school. Uh, Dominican did not start football until the early 70s, uh, but their one All-State nominee on my list, uh, honoree on my list, comes from the gridiron. Uh, Darren Cargill was an eight-man All-State running back in 1981. And I think he has to be my choice for the greatest Dominican Friar athlete of all time. When the Dominican building was closed in May 1983 to make way for that freeway, that was the end of the Friars history. The new campus would have a brand new name, the Omaha Father Flanagan Chargers, uh, who would be open from 1983 to 1997, uh, though they kept Dominicans red and black colors. The new school, of course, named for the Boys Town Founder and showing the close association between the Boys Town Campus and the uh, uh, alternative school deeper in the city, uh, would have more athletic success. Uh, They would qualify for the state boys basketball tournament in their first year in 1984 and again in 1988. Uh, In 1997, the Chargers qualified again and advanced to the C-1 semifinals before losing to eventual state champ David City Aquinas. Nipsey Jones was a consensus All-State basketball selection for the Chargers in that inaugural year of 1984. Uh, James Hatton was All-State in 1989 when he averaged nearly 30 points a game. And Calvin Strong was the school's last All-Stater on that 1997 team. Flanagan closed in 97 after changes in state and federal law compelled individual school districts to create their own internal alternative programs for expelled youth. Jones, Hatton, and Strong should probably share the Omaha Flanagan Greatest Athlete honors. The still pretty new Omaha Flanagan campus at 26th and Hamilton, remember it had just been built when the the freeway closed down Dominican, Uh, was sold to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Now, the Boys and Girls Clubs, in turn, turned over part of the facility to the Omaha Public Schools, where they now operate Omaha Blackburn High School, uh, a nice new facility with athletic facilities uh, from when it was Dominican. Uh, That's the district's, uh, excuse me, when it was Flanagan. That's the district's alternative school. The Blackburn Pride have a nickname and colors. They're purple and white. Uh, but they have never competed in interscholastic athletics or been a member of the NSAA. Uh, They've got a beautiful field turf football field and a track complex that has generic OPS signage on it, and it's used to host junior varsity and younger contests. Uh, Another alternative school uh, to the south in Omaha, uh, Omaha St. Peter Claver High School, was an experimental Catholic high school at 36th and Q that was not directly connected to the Omaha diocese. It was part of a national system of schools called the Cristo Rey Network. Uh, the school gave kids from low-income families the chance at a private school and college prep education while requiring students to work a paid internship to help pay their way. Uh, it abruptly announced its closing just before graduating its own only senior class. The Trailblazers wore crimson and cream and competed in volleyball, basketball, and soccer from 2008 until they closed in 2011, and one year in football in 2010, but I can't really identify a standout athlete from that short span. Uh, St. Peter Claver, of course, reminds me quickly of another school that probably fits in this, and that would be Omaha Bishop Ryan, uh, which was opened by an order of nuns but until its last year's and, and the controversy of closing, uh, wasn't directly part of the Omaha Diocese. Uh, I've got uh, a couple episodes back about Omaha Ryan's 1972 football season, uh, which covers a lot of the history of that school. If you're interested, that's back in the feed. Another alternative school is still open in Omaha. Omaha Street High School opened in 1999 with just four students and now has about 20 or 25 each year. They claim the Lions as their nickname, but do not record any colors in the NSAA directory, though they are members. Uh, They only compete in athletics as part of cooperative sponsorships. They play football and basketball with Omaha Concordia and run track with Omaha Christian Academy. There are other non-traditional schools uh, that are more like West Kearney and the Job Corps in Nebraska sports history, which are parts of state or national youth programs. Um, I started kind of putting together a list of those as well, of course. Uh, just like Boys Town is the easily the most famous alternative school, the Agricultural High School, the State Agricultural High School in Curtis, Curtis Ag High School, uh, which was open from 1913 to 1968, is the premier athletic program amongst these state and federal program schools. Uh, Curtis was a boarding high school run by the state specializing in ag education, and the Aggies were a Class A or Class B athletic program for all of their uh, 55-year history. Curtis was a regular in the early all-comer state basketball tournaments, going all the way in the Class E bracket in that giant 1926 tourney. Again, and a couple great episodes about that tourney back in the feed. Uh, The Aggies played in the Class A tournament seven times between 1933 and 1948, Uh, during the qualification era, uh, advancing to the semifinals twice. In 1938, they finished rated second in the overall football top 10 ratings overall, all classes. Uh, The Aggies were a founding member member of the Still Going Strong Southwest Conference and won seven conference basketball titles and two football crowns in the league. Uh, They produced numerous football All-Staters, topped by Douglas Hudson, who was picked first team All-Nebraska in 1937, uh, the last Aggie Football All-Staters were Sherrod Hansen, Rodney Swanson, and Tom Hegerman uh, for the 1954 team that finished 4th in Class B. John Lebounty and Kenneth Elson were All-State basketball players for Curtis in the 1930s. Uh, I've never seen any sign of another high school in Curtis during the ag school era, so I assume that all the local kids attended the ag school. Uh, When the state shifted the school's mission from high schoolers to college students and made it part of the university system in 1968, which of course it still is, then Medicine Valley High was opened in Curtis. Curtis Ag was originally visualized as just one of four state agricultural high schools. Uh, There was already one in Lincoln at the State Farm, which is what I'm always gonna call the East Campus of the university now. Um, Lincoln Agriculture was opened from 1872 to 1929, and it was supposed to serve the southeast corner of the state, and Curtis had been opened to serve the southwest. Uh, Being central to the southwest quadrant is probably what helped Curtis get the school over a very aggressive bid from Holdridge. I think there's still some businessmen in Holdridge that are grumpy about that 1913 decision. Of course, the ag schools for the Northwest and the Northeast sectors were never built, and Curtis became the premier facility and actually led to the closing of Lincoln Ag. But before it closed, uh, the Lincoln Aggies made some noise in Nebraska sports circles. Uh, The Aggies played in 14 all-comer state basketball tournaments. Of course, sometimes they were just crossing town, uh, or even sometimes those early tournaments played games on their campus. Uh, those tournaments were from 1912 to 1928, uh, so uh, 14 times in there. Uh, and they qualified for the Class B bracket in the 1925 tourney when the state experimented for qual- with qualification. Uh, the Lincoln Ag's best showings were in 1923 and 1926. Each of those years, they won two games and played in the semifinals of Class E. Uh, no Lincoln Aggie ever earned all-state basketball football honors. Another school, this time funded at the federal level, is the United States Industrial School in Genoa. Uh, They were often called the Genoa Indians in contemporary accounts. Now, you can read elsewhere about the troubled and controversial history of native boarding schools like the one in Genoa. But here I'm going to concentrate on their athletic legacy. Uh, By the way, Genoa maintains a museum about the school that is on my field trip list. I've got to get up there. I I was actually in Genoa a year ago this fall and and didn't know about it and didn't get over there. I'm, I'm still kicking myself. Uh, the, uh, Indians played in seven basketball state tournaments, all in the all comers era. Uh, they played in Lincoln every year from 1921 to 1928, except for 1925, that district qualifying year experiment. Um, they played in three state title games. They won class C in 1927 with a 19 to eight win over Potter in 1922 and 1924, they lost Class B championship games to Beatrice, excuse me, Ravenna and Beatrice, respectively. In 1927, five players were on the court at every minute of the state championship game. Their last names were Rave, Flying, Parker, White, and Whipple. Flying, a forward, uh, was the high scorer in that state title win uh, with eight points, but it was Rave who was named to the All-State lists uh, by the World Herald. Rave was back on the 1928 team that fell to the Lincoln Ag School in a close first-round Class B contest. Rave was named all-tournament that year. Looking at the industrial school records available online, my best guess is this is Joseph Rave. Whatever his first name, he is my pick for the greatest Genoa United States industrial school athlete of all time. Oh, the Genoa School did also have a state track champ uh, when a lad named White took the Class B shot put title in 1926, and I noticed that in 1927, someone also named White, but now from Winnebago, won the shot put again uh, and set a new state record. I kinda wonder if this is the same athlete, uh, but I wasn't able to confirm that. All right, moving on. There are two state-funded schools, or were, (laughs) are and were two state-funded schools in the eastern part of the state uh, that catered to students with specific disabilities while also participating in NSAA sports. They are the Nebraska School for the Deaf at Omaha and the Nebraska School for the Visually Impaired, often called Nebraska Blind at Nebraska City. Uh, Nebraska Deaf, called NSD in the papers a lot, was on 45th Street in North Omaha, and it has the longer and more successful athletic history of the two, chiefly built upon uh, their winning of the marvelous one-class state basketball championship in 1931. The Tigers, who wore orange and black, climbed all the way out of the early district rounds of schools with fewer than 100 students and into the regionals for the bigger schools and eventually won 11 straight games to claim... uh, that all-class championship, including state tourney victories over Schuyler, McCook, Lincoln Jackson, and Crete. Uh, Forward Faye Teer and center Frank Janelle were both selected all-state in 31, but Teer was the big star. Uh, He led all players in scoring for the tournament, and sports writer Greg McBride called him quote, remarkably fast, heady, and graceful as he just showered praise on the entire Def squad as one of the best teams in the history of Nebraska basketball to that point. Def continued to compete in basketball, football, and track until the school closed in 1998. The basketball team won several district championships in the 30s and the 40s and then returned to the state tournament in Class D in 1955. Uh, they eventually they fell to the eventual state champs Western in the semifinals. Those Western Indians won back-to-back state titles at 54 and 55. In the middle of the century, Def had three state track champions. Ben Schreiner won the class D two twenty in nineteen thirty-nine. Earl Mallory was a four-time medalist and captured the Class D 100 in 1949. And Garrett Nelson medaled four times in 1949, finishing second in the high jump, third in the low hurdles, fourth in the highs, and capturing the state title in the long jump. Tiger football, they, they were the Tigers. Tiger football had an undefeated season in 1948, probably featuring Mallory and Nelson, those track stars, uh, going 6-0 and while playing six-man football. In 1967, uh, quarterback Ken Urich led the Tigers to another perfect record, 8-0, while accounting personally for 24 touchdowns on the land and through the air. He was named 8-Man All-State and National Deaf All-American. A couple decades later, NSD had another gridiron star. Willie Callaway was All-State in 1992 and 1993 when the Tigers were back to playing six-man football. Callaway averaged almost 200 yards per game rushing during his sophomore and junior years and half of his senior season. The problem was Def only had seven boys in the entire school in the fall of 1994, and though all seven were out for football and Callaway continued to dominate running the football, he soon ran out of teammates. The Tigers had to cancel their season halfway through, bringing Callaway's career to an end. Callaway and Urich and even the 1949 track star Nelson are fantastic candidates for greatest Nebraska Deaf Tiger of all time. But I think I'm going to stick with Fay Terre of the 1931 All-Class State Champions and give him the nod. The other school in this category, the Nebraska School for the Visually Impaired Nebraska Blind at Nebraska City, is still open and serving kids, but their athletic history is confined to the wrestling mats of the 1960s. I do not know what mascot or colors NSVI used at state wrestling, but I do know that they captured quite a few medals. Uh, Orville Dasher was state runner-up in 112 pounds in Class B in 1961 as a sophomore. Uh, He won the state title at that weight the next two years. While Dasher was winning his second state title in 1963, Dale Oviatt was winning the first of his four medals. He was 103-pound champ that year before finishing runner-up at 112 twice and then becoming state champion again at 120 in 1966. Nebraska Blind won a total of 11 medals with six wrestlers during that decade. And, And remember that decade... There are not a lot of state wrestling champs on the east side of the state. Uh, these guys uh, would have would have been uh, competing against the great rest western wrestlers who, who you know saw each other all regular season. Uh, Nebraska blind won eleven total medals with six wrestlers in that decade. And Rosefus Williams was the school's last state champion, capturing the one hundred thirty three pound class B bracket in nineteen sixty six. Frank Kingry and David Crowder. Were the last medalists finishing fourth in Class C in 1967 and 1968 respectively. Another high school uh, that pops up once in a while uh, is a state-funded school that's very related to West Kearney, Geneva North. <laughs> Until re- recently that was the accredited high-, edit- accredited high school name of the girls counterpart of the Kearney YRTC. Now it's recently been closed and as far as I know, Geneva North never competed in interscholastic sports. Uh, that makes sense since West Kearney's time in the NSAA activities predates Title IX and the reintroductions of girls' sports in Nebraska. Another group of non-traditional high schools in Nebraska are those based at colleges and used as preparatory schools and later student teaching laboratories. Uh, Most of these schools kind of followed the same arc. At first, they were created uh, to get students ready for college. Uh, For example, in the early days of the University of Nebraska, uh, the university had a list of schools, and just off the top of my head, I think it was Omaha High School, which would become Central, Lincoln High School, Beatrice and Hastings, and maybe a couple more. Those were the only high schools in the state where graduates could get admitted immediately into the university. All other high school graduates from any other schools in the state had to go into these prep schools to prepare uh, to get ready for college classes. Some really great students, Willa Cather, (laughs) out of Red Cloud, had to go to the prep school uh, on the university campus uh, before she was admitted into the University of Nebraska. Uh, okay, later then, those schools, though, were, were used as teaching laboratories where these schools who were preparing teachers uh, could have them student teach, many of them student teach. Okay, let's start in the southeast part of the state with these schools at the oldest college in Nebraska, Peru State. Until 1967, Peru Prep High School operated on the Peru campus and competed in athletics. Interestingly, Peru Prep is the only high school that seems to have ever been located in Peru. Uh, the Peru state website even calls Prep a public school. Uh, now, I'm not sure if that means they had a traditionally elected school board running it in conjunction with the college, or if it just means that local students attended tuition free. I, I lean toward the latter. I do know that the Bob Kittens. Who wore purple and gold? Uh, competed in football, basketball, and track for years. Peru Prep produced four state track champions, all in Class C. Harold Fisher won the low hurdles in 1938. Paul Og tied for the high jump crown in 1941. Robert Applegate won the 1946 long jump, and Dwayne Rains won the 1944 uh, excuse me <laughs> won the 440 yard dash in 1951. Trying to age Mr. Reigns there. Uh, Raines was also a consensus All-Stater at running back on the football field for the Bob Kittens. Uh, Junior Helms was a Peru Prep Football stater in 1947, as was Ronald Brock in 1955. Those two years were the only seasons that the Bob Kittens finished in the state top 10, though the school posted back-to-back unbeaten football marks in 36 and 37 before small school ratings had made their debut in the newspapers. Peru Prep was an original member of the Southeast Conference in 1926, uh, one of Nebraska's earliest conferences, uh, along with Pawnee City, Falls City, Tecumseh, and Humboldt. Peru Prep spent more of their history though in the Nimaha Valley Conference where they won track in 1960 and basketball in their final season as a school, 1967. The Bob Kittens competed in the all-comer state basketball tournaments almost every year in the 20s. Uh, They won Class D in 1927 and finished second in Class C in 1928. The Purple and Gold qualified for state four times, 1930, 1936, 1937, and 1942. They were the Class B runners-up in 36, and Roland Cowell, the star of that team, was the only Bob Kitten to ever be named All-State in basketball. I think, though, I'm going to go with Dwayne Rains, whose track and football success in 1951 makes him my pick for greatest Peru prep Bob Kitten of all time. Peru prep was the last of the state college prep schools to close, uh, but the other three state colleges, uh, at least as I, as I think of them, still lumping Carney Kearney State in there, uh, had those schools as well. Uh, let's start up north. At Wayne State College, the school was known by a couple names, Wayne Prep or Wayne Hahn or, or even Wayne Hahn Prep. Uh, Harry H. Hahn was a longtime dean and head of the education department at Wayne State. The old Wayne Prep High School building now serves as administrative administrative offices at Wayne and still bears his name. The newspapers most commonly called the school Wayne Prep until it closed in 1962, but ever so often one would see a Wayne Hahn reference. Uh, Wayne Prep used the Panthers nickname, separate from the college's Wildcats moniker, and wore black and orange instead of black and gold. Uh, The Panthers' best six-man football team went unbeaten in 1945 and made Greg McBride's final top 10. That squad was led by All-Stater and future Fremont coaching legend Al Baugh. Baugh also played on Panther basketball teams that qualified for State in 45 and 46. William Morrison was All-State for Wayne Prep in 46 as the Panthers advanced to the Class D semifinals before losing a close one to powerful Hildreth, whose hounds were on their way to a second title of what would be four and eight years by 1951. Those mid-1940s basketball teams were not the first time Wayne Prep had made noise on the statewide scene, though. In 1937, uh, James Hunmer was named All-State, and the 1943 basketball team uh, won two games in the 16-team Class C state bracket to reach the semifinals. The Panthers' last basketball All-Stater was at the end of the decade uh, when Carol Thompson was named in 1950. The Panther track squad made the state Top 10 in 1947 when Claude Harder won the Class D long jump. Some other great athletes dot Wayne Prep history. Uh, Robert Hickman uh, was named All-State football as a lineman in 1936, and the 6'2 Dale Benson was an All-State round baller in 1951. So I guess Thompson wasn't the last All-Stater, contradicting myself there. Uh, I think uh, I think when you look at all the athletes together, I think his coaching career puts Al Baugh over the top as the greatest athlete in Wayne Prep Panther history. And that's without even taking into consideration his patriarchy uh, of a great Nebraska uh, prep athlete dynasty. At Kearney State College, before it became the University of Nebraska, Kearney, uh, the prep school also had two names. It was known first as Kearney Prep and later renamed A.O. Thomas Prep after the founder of the college, who was later the superintendent of the Kearney Public Schools. Uh, the school was open only from the mid-1920s until 1940. The Antelopes, who also shared the uh, college's color of blue, colors of blue and gold, had their heyday in the late 1930s just before closing. Uh, The basketball squad beat Hastings, St. Cecilia, Pleasanton, and Loomis to capture the 1936 Class C District and then topped Trumbull 32-12 in the regional playoff to qualify for state. Uh, In the smallest class of the 1936 three-class tourney, the Antelopes won their opener in the 16-team bracket, 42-28 over Elba, but then lost in the semifinals to Santee in a 14-12 squeaker. Over the next two years, the Antelopes had a pair of state track champs. James Stark won the Class D 220-yard dash in 1937. Uh, He also medaled in the 100 in both 36 and 37. The next year, Billy Kincaid tied for the Class C pole vault title. Kincaid was the vault runner-up the year before. I think Stark's three state medals have to make him the greatest antelope in Kearney A.O. Thomas Prep High School history. Shadron State College also ran a prep school, uh, which made Shadron a three-high school town for several decades because of Shadron Assumption, a Catholic school, also being open. In fact, Shadron Prep did not close until 1961, just four years before the Shadron Job Corps opened in 1965, meaning little Shadron was pretty close to being a four-high school town. Uh, Shadron Prep wore red and white and called themselves the Junior Eagles. They had a lot of athletic success through the decades, but their unquestioned golden age was the early 1950s, when the Junior Eagles won three Class C state basketball championships under Hall of Fame coach Archie Kahn. Shadron Prep was undefeated in each of the title years, 1950, 1952, and 1955. Kahn also led the football and track programs. In his first three years as football coach, the Eagles were 21-1-1, and and he topped that in basketball with his 12-year mark, having 247 wins and just 31 losses. All state lists were full of junior Eagles during that 1950s run. Uh, Danny Kuska uh, led the nineteen-fifty basketball champs. Uh, Larry Lytel and Charles Muma were the stars of the 1952 winners, and Ed Kuska was honored from the 1955 champs. Later, Richard Muma became the Eagles' first two-time All-Stater when he was honored in 1958 and 1959. The Cuscas were also track stars. Danny won three individual medals in the hurdles and the jumps in 49 and 50, and Ed was a hurdle medalist in 55. Brothers Jerry and Jack Hartman had been the school's first track stars, anchoring the Eagles to an an 880-yard relay title in 1944. Glenn Wyatt won the school's uh, first individual state championship when he won the 1950 Class C quarter mile, and Gene Williams followed, tying for the Class C pole vault gold in 1955. The school's end, at first, looked like it was going to be a new beginning. In 1960, the plan was for the state to build, uh, to use state funds to build a new Shadron Prep high school facility on campus. Uh, But just when it looked like that was gonna happen, things changed quickly. Uh, Soon there were calls for investing that money instead into the college program, and people were vocally pointing out that Shadron student teachers could have experience in other local public schools. By 1961, just six years after that last basketball title, the school was closing its doors forever. Some of the state's private colleges also ran prep high schools in their history. Uh, The Hastings College Academy does not seem to have ever competed in athletics, uh, but Seward Concordia High School certainly did. And we will get to the Raiders later because Concordia High seems to strangely kind of straddle this category and another one. So I'm going to go back to Concordia High, but in Lincoln, Nebraska Wesleyan Prep did compete in athletics and definitely fit in this category. The Coyotes wore gold and brown and were open until 1931. They only started playing basketball in 1925, but the young Methodists, as the players often forsook Coyotes to call them, and I think I kind of like better, uh, made noise in those short few years. They competed in the suburban Greater Lincoln League with Havelock High, Bethany, College View, and the Lincoln High School Reserves, uh, and a school that we'll touch on in a minute, Temple High. In 1928, uh, Wesley and Prep put together a great basketball season. They had regular season wins over the much larger Havelock Engineers and a Lincoln High Reserve squad that was led uh, by a young future Husker legend, Bernie Masterson and then followed it with a district championship in the Wesleyan University-hosted Class B basketball district. They swept through Bethany, College View, and Temple High to win that and were placed in the Class E bracket for state in 1928. The Coyotes may have been even better the next year as they finished the season with just two losses. Uh, One of them was to the Valley Terriers in the Class B state title game. Wesleyan Prep shared Greater Lincoln League honors that year with Havelock, um, and Arthur Hogue was a junior that year and led the Young Methodists in scoring several times. He was elected team captain for his senior year, and he's my pick for the Wesleyan Prep Coyote, or Young Methodist, greatest athlete of all time. Across town from Wesleyan Prep was the yard- largest of the college laboratory schools at the state flagship university in Lincoln. The UNL High School went by several names. Early on, and the school dates back way to the 1800s, I already told you about Willa Cather, uh, it was called Temple High, after the building in which it was located. In the 40s and 50s, as the school's focus had shifted from prepping students for the university into training new teachers, the school started calling them Lincoln Teachers High School. Um, By the late 1950s, it was officially called university high school, but even that would often be shortened to uni high. The tutors, as they were called, not the junior Cornhuskers, the tutors, they wore blue and red. Uh, Ironically, at a university that has always been passionate for football, uni high never competed in that sport, rather hanging its hat on basketball. They attended a bunch of the early all comers state basketball tournaments, including six of the first eight. In 1920, the Tudors found some success, winning the Class J bracket with a championship win over the Craig Wolves. They took on tougher competition two years later, beating Wahoo in in the 1922 Class A bracket before falling to Grand Island, and then returning to play in lower brackets in 1924 and 1928. After that, they went quiet on the basketball court for a while. They did have a couple of state track champs in the 1940s. Jack Nickens tied for the Class B high jump title in 42. Dwayne Eldridge won the Class C half mile in 46. And Dwayne Cade came from behind on the home stretch to win the Class B mile in 1944. The Tudors did not really start making noise on the statewide scene until Coach Dale Snook a Chester native moved across town from Cathedral High, the predecessor of Pius, to take over the University High athletic program. Under Coach Snook, Stan Maskey was named All-State basketball twice, leading the tutors to back to back, uh, leading the tutors back to state basketball for the first time in 23 years in 1951. In the spring, Maskey won the state Class B high jump, and he also medaled twice in the mile during his career. His teammate, Mike Stubbs, was the Tudors' most decorated trackster ever, uh, winning seven career medals. He was the 100-yard champ in 51 and 52 and added golds in the 220 and as the anchor of the half-mile relay as a senior. The next year, the Tudors found team success in Memorial Stadium as they won the Class B state track title. Lefty Hickson won the half-mile, and Paul Kloss captured the district title for coach snook's crew the next winner snook and the tutors were celebrating on campus again but this time at the coliseum as they dominated uh, uh, tecumseh for the class b state basketball championship six foot seven james tom was all state for the second time as he led the tutors to the title uni high made a couple more trips down the street for the tournament in the 1950s in 1953, a new building for the school was constructed at 15th and Vine, just a couple blocks from the Coliseum. Those years also saw several more basketball all-staters named: Bill Hunsacker in 56, Marvin Bauer in 57, and Charlie Stevenson in 59. Bauer and the 1957 team lost a 51-50 overtime classic to Geneva in the Class B state final. Snook coached more All-Staters in the 60s. George Zarens was honored in 63 and Ron Schroeder made the list in 1965. Schroeder led the tutors to the Class C title as a senior with a win over my dad's Wood River team in the semis and the Hebron Bears in the final. Dennis Beckman was the school's last All-Stater in 1966, the year it was announced that Uni High would close as Lincoln High School was getting ready to open its doors in the fall of 1967. That is another example of how these schools were public schools. Uni High had only a very small fee required for students and yet not public schools. I'm not sure how much control the Lincoln Public Schools board had over the curriculum and other issues but obviously there was some working hand in hand with the Lincoln Public Schools when you see Uni High close so East can open. Now, uh, University High affected not just LPS but some other local small schools. When Walton High, uh, the Walton High Ponies closed and became part of Waverly in 1966, It was mentioned in the papers that many Walton kids had been choosing to drive into Lincoln and onto campus to attend Uni High for years, including the son of a school board member. That made the papers. Uh, I think I like uh, the first basketball All-Stater in school history, Stan Matske, who was also a state track champion, as my pick for greatest Uni High tutor athlete of all time. As a quick aside... One mystery that I've not been able to unravel yet is the location of those four University High State Championship trophies. The school building, now called Henslick Hall for education students at UNL, still acknowledges the facility's history as a high school, with several items of tutor memorabilia posted throughout the building, but there's no sign of those trophies. I'm going to keep looking, and of course, if uh, uh, if you have any tips... Get in touch through Twitter or email. That 1965 University High State Championship Basketball squad won their first game at state over another high school that was based on a college campus. But as I have researched, I'm not sure if Seward Concordia High belongs in the group with Uni High, Wesleyan Prep, and Wayne Hahn, or in the next group of schools, the state's boarding schools. When I contacted Concordia University historian uh, Jerry Fabe, he confirmed that the school was a little different from the rest of the campus schools. Like those, it did start as a prep school to get students ready for college classes and then become a teaching laboratory school. But unlike those schools, somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of the student body boarded right on campus. So we're gonna use Seward Concordia as kind of a bridge between our college campus high schools and our boarding schools in the state. Alright, on to Seward Concordia. The first mention of the Raiders, or the Blue Raiders in my notes, is the 1930 football squad that went unbeaten, 6-0, playing 11-man football. They make some news at state track during the World War II years. The big star was Gerhard Meyer, who won a bunch of track medals, including the 1944 Long Jump Championship, and led his team to a top-three finish in Class D that year. By the late 40s, Concordia was playing six-man football. They won the Nebraska City Apple Bowl in 1949 and finished the year ranked third in the state. The 1953 Raiders had their first All-Stater when Wayne Kinnig made the six-man honor list. The golden age of the Raiders, though, dawned in 1957 when the football team, play, back to playing 11-man behind All-Staters Mel Brammer, John Bowle, and Dave Kroger, went 8-0 and won a share of the Class C ratings titles. The Lincoln Papers liked Concordia's geographically varied wins over the likes of Nelson, West Kearney, Scribner, and David City St. Mary's. Greg McBride of the World Herald preferred the Oshkosh Eagles and their wins over Class B Imperial and Minotaur and Class A Gehring. Oshkosh did have a loss to the other Class B team on its schedule, Bridgeport. The Concordia Raiders would finish 1959 and 1960 in the top five of Class C, as Fred Kroger and Dennis Edding were named All-State. The next school year, the Raiders struck gold on the baseball diamond, as they won the 1959 Class B state championship. Monty Frome threw a one-hitter to beat Papillion 4-1 in the title game. Then, the very next year, in 1960, the Raiders won a winter season state title to complete the trifecta. Concordia beat Niagara 55-36 for the Class C basketball title. Six-five big man Gordon Bedrow led the way and was named All-State. He was following in the footsteps of a couple Raider basketball All-Staters in the 50s. Jim Jergensen in 1958 and Bob Peterson in 1956. Concordia was back in the football top five in 1968 when they put up another unbeaten 11-man season. They claimed their third straight Atlas Conference title that year. Concordia claimed another state baseball title in the spring of 1960, beating Papillion again. This time, Roger Hartner was the hero on the mound, throwing a shutout so that Gary Borshitting's first inning two RBI single would have been enough in the 8-0 title game win. In 1962, Concordia had a state wrestling champion as heavyweight Dennis Edding, the same football all-stater from earlier, took home Golden Class B, a rare Eastern champ in the era we've already talked about when the West dominated Class B. Over the next 10 years, Raider wrestlers would win 15 state medals, including a pair of two-time champions in 71 and 72 in Don Baker and Alan Christian. The Raiders had captured another individual title at the state track meet in 1970 when Dan Kletter won the Class C two-mile run. Those state champs were the end of the road for the school though, as it would close in the spring of 1972. I think I lean towards the star of the 1960 state basketball champs, Gordon Bedrow, or maybe the class of 1962's football all-stater and heavyweight wrestling champ, Dennis Edding, as the greatest Raider athletes of all time. Of course, I also wonder about those blue Raider state championship trophies. Just like at Uni High, Concordia U has a nice little display about the high school in their new athletic facility, but. I didn't see any trophies. Perhaps they're across the street at the Lutheran Elementary School, St. John's. I need to check next time I'm in Seward. I suppose one more high school on a college campus should get mentioned before I completely move on to the other boarding schools in the state. And that would be the biggie, Omaha Creighton Prep. The Junior Jays, of course, did start out as a prep school on the campus of Creighton University. And the school is still run by the Jesuit order, which also started the college. Prep, though, officially separated itself from the university in the early 1950s and then moved from the campus on the hill out to 72nd 76- Street uh, later on in the 50s. At some point, I'll have to con- chronicle the incredible Junior J athletic history, <laughs> but that's not going to be today. This episode's long enough. Probably, like Boys Town, Prep is going to need an episode or episodes of its own. Instead, I want to move on to a boarding school that like prep is an all boys school in the omaha area elkhorn mount michael benedictine located to the northwest of elkhorn the school is a 9th through 12th grade institution dedicated to college preparation for talented students but that was not the first vision statement for the rural campus though Uh, it was opened in 1953 by monks from the immaculate conception abbey in missouri as the saint john vianney Seminary to be a high school and junior college for men preparing for the priesthood. They competed interscholastically and appeared in the newspapers as Elkhorn St. John in the early era. I do not think there is another high school sports story in the state where one school and one person, one coach, are so intertwined as the story of Elkhorn St. John's slash Mount Michael and Coach Jim Killer Kane. Kane was not just the most successful coach ever for the Knights, he basically built all of their sports programs and coached many of them for decades, earning state championships in four different sports, something I think has to be a record. The Knights did actually compete in sports before Kane arrived in 1964. Uh, Baseball scores and track results start appearing in the papers in 1958, and they ran in the NSAA's first ever cross-country state meet in 1960. But Coach Kane's arrival in 64 is the key to them being a factor statewide. In 1960, the students had even voted to keep the sports program small so as not to take too much time away from their studies. The school's competition in basketball was delayed until the sports auditorium could be expanded to accommodate a regulation floor and stage. Uh, people who have played there uh, where Mount Michael still plays their games, are probably shocked to hear that the facility was originally even smaller than it is now when it was built in 1956. They did finally start basketball in 1963 and even won a few games in 1964, including beating a new Class A school, Omaha Beverage, which we know would become Burke. But in the fall of 1964, Coach Jim Kane arrived on campus and everything really changed. He had been teaching and coaching for a couple of years in nearby Waterloo after his pro baseball career in the Yankees organization had ended in 1960. The former Wisner High School star and NU baseball all-conference catcher started putting his mark on night athletics immediately. Since St. John did not play football, Cain coached cross-country when he first arrived and led that squad to a fourth-place finish in Class B State that first autumn on campus. Three years later, they were state champs in Class C. They were not—they are not talented," Kane said of his runners. "Just dedicated. Albert Leikus, Elmer Wemhoff, David Hahn, and Richard Kopp won by running in a pack and finishing fifth, sixth, eighth, and ninth. The Knights would repeat the next fall as Cop, Hahn, and Leikus were back in the top ten—third, sixth, and eighth this time. David Hahn was also a basketball star for Kane, earning All-State honors by averaging 21 points a game in 1969. He was the school's second All-State basketballer, following Jim Crone in 1968. Crone and Hahn took St. John all the way to the Class C state final game that year where they lost 67-60 to the Grant Plainsman. Kane had taken advantage of the school's lack of football when he first arrived to load his cross-country r- roster and he ran his charges at five o'clock every morning. He changed all that himself in 1969 by starting a football program and taking that over as its coach. The fall after that, the school would change from seminary to prep school and have a new name, and Kane would be the Elkhorn Mount Michael Benedictine coach in all three major sports, football, basketball, and track until 1992 the school and Coach Kane's next state title would come on the track in 1973. Kane's star that weekend was Conroy Jeffries who won the 220, the 440, and the 880 and anchored the Class C mile relay champs. The Knights had never have never repeated that track championship, but Kane's early work with distance runners would continue to show as the Knights were two mile or 3,200 meter relay champions six different times under Kane and placed in the event another nine times. Other state track champs under Kane were half milers John Kinney in 1984 and Jason Teal in 1988. After Kane gave up the track reins in 92, Mount Michael had a few more state track champs. Sprinter Chris Miller won the 1996 200 meters. Dan Seahall took the 3200 meter run in 2001. And Thomas Fechtinger was was a three-time individual champ in the mile and the 3200. And (laughs) added a relay gold before graduating in 2012. There is actually one more Kane-era state track champ, but... We'll get to him when we finally get to the sport I most closely connect with Coach Kane, basketball. But before that, the next Kane state title actually comes on the football field. That would be in the fall of 1982. Coach Kane had worked the Knights into the football state top 10 in C1 in 1977. They repeated that feat the next year, but this time in Class B. The Knights fell in the first round of the playoffs in both of those seasons. The leader of those squads, quarterback Steve DiGiacinto, earned All-State honors in 1978. He was a two-time All-Stater for Kane on the basketball court as well, leading the Knights to the state tournament twice. In '78, they lost to, to the Lions basketball team that would dominate Class C the next season. And in 1979, they lost in the semifinals to Jerry Smutty's great 26-0 Class B state champions from Norris. The 1982 Mount Michael State football champs were led by a pair of all state backs, Jeff Jamrog and Paul McCann. The Knights dominated the Class B playoffs, shutting out McCook, Lincoln Pius X, and O'Neill to claim the title. Kane's 13 0 crew was so dominant that the World Herald ranked them 10th in the all class top 10. That winter, Jamrog, was a basketball all stater too, and the Knights beat Lexington. Hardington Cedar Catholic, and Fairbury to give Coach Kane the football-basketball state title double play. It might have taken almost 20 years for Killer Kane to get his first state basketball championship, but it would only take three to get his second. Doug Wemhoff earned his second straight All-State award as he averaged 22 points a game in 1985 and led the Knights to state tourney wins over Wayne, Seward, and Valentine. Wemhoff became Kane's third individual state track champ that spring when he captured the Class B discus title. He's my pick for the greatest Mount Michael Knight athlete of all time. Coach Kane was not done winning state titles, though. In 1990, his football squad blitzed through Crete, Boystown, Town, Elkhorn High, and Columbus Lakeview to snag another Class B crown. Defensive backs Jeff Klein and Mike Tegel were all staters for the champions. That was the last Coach Kane State hardware, hardware to go into the Mount Michael trophy case, but they have brought home plenty of state championship trophies, especially in the Olympic sports, since. Cross Country has won three, uh, Class B three times, 1986, 2012, and 2015, and Class C four times in 95, 96, 97, and 2000. The Knights had their first individual champion in 2011 when Thomas Fettinger claimed that prize. Remember, Fettinger was a four-time track state champ, too. He probably should be in the conversation with Wemhoff to be the Mount Michael Goat. Mount Michael claimed Class B golf titles in 1987 and last spring in 2021. The 21 team was uh, led by Luke Kaczewski, who was the state individual titleist in 19 and 21. he was likely denied a three-peat by the cancellation of the state meet because of covid virus in 2020. night tennis teams have won six class b titles they won three of them in 89 90 and 91. in 89 they were keyed by the number two singles title by john harris in 90, they swept the doubles championships, with Ryan Beller and Andy Lanick taking number ones, and Dan Beniotto and Doug Larson prevailing at number twos. Beniotto was also an all-stater in basketball, Kane's last such nom- nom- honoree. Colin Cottle and John McLean captured the number two doubles in 91 to help the Knights win their third straight. Mount Michael returned to the top of Class B tennis in 2005 when Aaron Locke and Grant Mathey were number two doubles champs. 10 years later in 2015, the Knights swept the doubles again with Jackson Hitzeman and Alexander Stupa playing number ones and Logan Bomberger and Douglas Jamal manning the number twos. In 2019, Isaac Gart became Mount Michael's first singles champion in 30 years. He repeated in 2020 and helped the Knights take home yet another piece of championship hardware. In 2005, the Mount Michael soccer team beat Elkhorn High twice in overtime, once in the district final and once in the state championship, to become the first team sports state titleists in the school's post-Coach Kane era. Midfielder Matt Hawes, forward Zach Casey, and Joe uh, Mickelson, and goalkeeper Ben Suing all received All-State honors. Suing was also a basketball All-Stater in 2005, maybe he belongs in that goat conversation as well. My All-State soccer records are not as complete yet as they are in other sports like football and basketball, but I know three two-time All-Staters for the Knights. Marcus Cronin in 2015 and Sam uh, Van Hoyt in 2016 both earned a second All-State Laurel, and in the early days of Nebraska soccer, Mount Michael's Ryan Moody, class of 1991, was also twice honored. Moody, was an all-state wide receiver in football as well basketball has continued to be important on the mount michael campus in the post-kane era with seven state tournament appearances since 1999 including a run to the class b state final behind all-stater and soccer star ben suing in 2005 and their one-of-a-kind cracker box gym is still hosting games and serving as the state's most intimidating home court advantage No other boarding school in Nebraska has anything near Elkhorn-Mount Michael's athletic history. Uh, The school, in fact, uh, uh, that I'm going to talk about next has no athletic history that I know of. Platte Valley Academy was located just off of U.S. Highway 30, east of Shelton. The Seventh-day Adventist boarding school moved there in the 1920s after spending a few years in Hastings. Old yearbooks show some intramural sports and some small competitions with religiously affiliated schools in other states, but there's no evidence that they ever participated in Nebraska high school athletics. The school was closed in 2007, and after efforts to find a new use for the campus failed, the buildings were raised in 2010. Just over an hour to the east is another boarding school, one with a shorter history but more of an athletic footprint. Nebraska Evangelical Lutheran High School, uh, usually just Nebraska Lutheran in the sports pages, opened in Waco in 1979. It was the first high school in Waco since the Waco Warriors closed their doors and became part of Centennial High in 1967. In fact, Nebraska Lutheran reopened those very doors. The school took over the old Waco High School building, though they did add a half million dollar dormitory to the campus, and even adopted similar school colors, royal blue and yellow gold. Early newspaper reports sometimes called them Waco Lutheran. The school opened with just freshmen and sophomores in the fall of 79, and I can't find any evidence of interscholastic sports that year. It is possible they operated at the junior varsity level. The next year, they added one more grade and started appearing in the basketball score lists. Unfortunately, I have never found a game they won that year. The next fall, they had four full grades and added eight-man football. They played their first football game at Bruning, wearing blue jerseys in a color-on-color matchup with the red-shirted Bears. They lost 72-18. Things turned cheerier by the finale of their six-game schedule when they got their first-ever win, a 40, uh, 42-14 to triumph, over another boarding school, uh, Nebraska Christian. By 1984, the school had grown enough to be competing in Class C track when Scott Cohn won the Knights first state medal, finishing fifth in the 200 meter dash. In 2000, Tim Beckman became Nebraska Lutheran's first state track champion when he won the Class D 400 meters. In 2004, Sean Jamison cleared six foot eight in the high jump and captured the, the school's second State title. Though the Knights have never qualified for a state tournament in basketball or volleyball, the football team has made four trips to the state playoffs. In 1996, the Knights beat Henderson uh, in the 11 man C2 first round, 26 20 in overtime. Uh, They lost to Hastings St. Cecilia in the quarterfinals, but lineman Nick Ram was named a consensus all stater in the big city papers. In 2013, The Knights were back in the state playoffs, uh, this time in eight-man-two. Again, they won their first rounder, beating Osceola 56-28. In 2016 and 17, uh, they went back-to-back in the playoffs, this time in eight-man-one. In 17, they picked up another first-round win, beating Thayer Central 68-16 before being eliminated by East Butler. Kicker, uh, Joao Godot, uh, was named All-State in 16 and Lineman Marco Machado made the All-State list in 2017. I think I would lean towards Sean Jamison, the 6 foot 8 high jumper, as the greatest athlete in Nebraska Lutheran history. The next boarding school on my list is that first Nebraska Lutheran football victim, Nebraska Christian High School in Central City. Nebraska Christian history goes back a couple more decades than Nebraska Lutheran. Christian opened in 1959 when a group of parents from the Sandhills decided to open a boarding school for their children. They purchased the vacated Nebraska Central College campus near Central City for $10,000 to be paid over four years and became the Nebraska Christian Eagles. They wear Columbia blue and white. Interestingly, the first athletic mention of Nebraska Christian that I see in the newspaper archives is Beverly Rothschild's 100-yard dash championship at the Aurora Chamber of Commerce girls' invitational track meet in the spring of 1961. Chambers of Commerce were early promoters of girls' track and field. The Hastings Chamber ran a similar meet years before Title IX came along. I assume the Eagle Boys were running track that spring as well? But i have not dug up any clippings yet to prove that uh it was 1971 when nebraska christian captured its first medal at state track as mike schubert grabbed third in the class c long jump the next eagle state track champ came in 1985 when zane dexter captured the class c 400 meters ben unra became the school's first double winner when he swept the hurdles races in 2004 hands Epp went one better when he took home three track goals, winning the 800 in 2013 and then doubling in the 800 and the 1600 the next spring. Nolan Comacher became the Eagles' latest double winner in 2016 when he swept the 16 and 3,200-meter runs. Nebraska Christian had started competing in basketball by 1962 when they fell to the Phillips Pirates in the Class D district. The Eagles uh, were still searching for their first, uh, are still searching for their first trip to boys or girls state basketball tournaments, uh, but the volleyball team has been there several times. The first came in 1984 when Deb Larson led the Eagles to the C2 tournament, where they won the first set but could not hold on against top 10 rated Why Not. The best era of Nebraska Christian volleyball, though, has been the last four years when they have made three trips to Lincoln. In 2017, they powered all the way to the C2 semifinals when they beat Ponca for the school's first-ever tournament win. Claire and Carson Ostrand both earned All-State honors that year, and Carson repeated that the next year when she became the Eagles' first-ever first-teamer on the All-State list. Another Ostrand, Cassidy, was a two-time All-Stater in 2014 and 15, and Grace Langemeyer was twice All-State in 18 and 19, leading Christian to state as a junior. As volleyball, as that volleyball team was making that 1984 state tournament run that we talked about early. Earlier the boys were in the middle of the golden era of Eagle football. I do not have any evidence of Nebraska Christian playing on the gridiron until 1973, when they competed in eight eight eight-man football. A decade later, they made three straight playoff appearances. They won playoff games in each of those years and advanced to the eight-man-one semifinals in both eighty-four and eighty-five. Uh Uh, Joel uh, Ribelid led the 1984 effort. The All-State running back scored four touchdowns and a 64-14 win over eight-man state power Lawrence. The Eagles uh, pushed eventual champion Lee to the limits in the semis. Only an end-of-the-half field goal allowed the Panthers to escape with a 3-0 win. Nebraska Christian was given the nod as the number two team in the state ratings over state runner-up Ansley. In 1985, it was linebacker Rod Rouse getting the All-State call as he had led the Eagles to the semifinals again with playoff wins over Palmer and Elgin Pope John. The semifinal went to overtime before Sandhills escaped 20-14. Nebraska Christian has made uh, eight football playoff appearances in the last 20 years, including the 2000 team led by the school's only two-time All-Stater, Scotty McPeak. The greatest athletic era in school history, though, came on the cross-country courses of the early 2010s. The Eagles won three state Class D championships, 2010, 2012, and 2014, and they finished runners up twice in between 2011 and 2013, and third once in 2015. The 2010 team put four runners in the top 11 at state, led by J. Anthony Epp, who finished seventh. In 2011, John Landrigan and Hans Epp both finished in the top 10 as NCHS finished second behind champion Ord. Those two were back in 2012, finishing second and third, and were joined by Warren Dexter, who took fourth to help the Eagles outdistance runners-up Ainsworth for another championship. Epp won the school's first individual state title in thirteen, as Christian took home another runner-up trophy behind Crofton. In 2014, it was Dexter teaming with Nolan Comacher to finish second and ninth uh, and win the third state title in five years. Comacher was third in 15 as the Eagles wrapped up their dominating era with a third-place finish. Those runners are really the best candidates for greatest athletes in Nebraska Christian history. I think looking at them all, I give the nod to three-time state track champ, Hans Epp, who finished in the top ten at, at state cross-country all four times and captured the Eagles' lone individual title in 2013. The next boarding school I want to talk about started out as a boarding school, but now operates as a day school, and it was started a long, long time ago. Brownell Hall. Was an all girls school when it opened in 1868, that's 1868, near the Saratoga Springs Resort north of Omaha. They awarded the first high school diplomas in Nebraska state history at Brownell Hall. In 1922, the school moved to Memorial Park in the Dundee and Happy Hollow neighborhoods of Omaha. In the fall of 1963, uh, boys were added to the mix as a companion school when the Talbot School for Boys was opened at the same campus. The school operated on, under the clunky hyphenated name Brownell Hall-Talbot School for Boys for a bit, but it was mercifully changed to Omaha Brownell Talbot, and the blue and gold clad Raiders then began to compete in interscholastic sports. In 1963-64, the school had only freshman boys enrolled. They played in a local city recreational basketball league, but but did compete at state golf and cross-country meets, without much success, of course, with only ninth graders competing. In the winter of 1965, they competed in NSAA basketball, and in the fall of 1966, they fielded an 8-man football squad. They were competing as a Class D school, but planned to be Class C size. They were also showing up at NSAA golf, tennis, and cross-country meets. The Raiders had an early football All-Stater in lineman Mike Kovalusiak in 19... uh, Kovalsiak, Sometimes these names are tough. Uh, One thing I've learned (laughs) doing this history is there have been a lot of different last names in Nebraska. All right. The Raiders had an early All-Stater and lineman Mike Ko- Kovalciak in 1968 and produced a basketball All-Stater in 1973 named Paul McGuire, who averaged 25 points a game. But the first time Brownell Talbot really made any noise statewide was the 1974 <laughs> state tennis meet. Bob Husky and Barry James were double state champs, and David Husky was the singles runner up as the Raiders outpointed much bigger schools like Millard, Omaha Bishop Ryan, and Ralston to bring home the big Class B state title trophy. This was just a couple years before the introduction of number two brackets at state tennis, so making the finals of both singles and doubles made a team tough to beat. Husky and James. Remain the only Raider boys to win uh, a state tennis title, but nearly 50 years later, the Raider girls co-opted with Omaha Concordia High School to match the team championship and produce three bracket champions. Brianna Liu won Class B number one singles in 2018, and teammate Aruna Bashir prevailed in the number two bracket that year. The Brownell Talbot Concordia team iced the title, the team title. When Amaya Cuddy and Jenna Moo claimed the number two doubles championship. Not that it really matters in the world of cooperative sponsorships, but a little minor league Twitter stalking uh, reveals that uh, all four of those champs are Brownell Talbot grads. Lou and Bashir were just sophomore state champs. Uh, Bashir repeated in number two singles in 2019, and Lou made the final again and finished as runner up in the number one bracket. Before both lost, uh, their uh, senior state meets to co- the COVID virus in 2020. In nearly ha- in the nearly half a century between those two bookend state tennis titles, the Raiders had some other statewide athletic bright spots. Brownell Talbot has never qualified for a state tournament in basketball or volleyball, but they have produced some great players. Uh, Larry Martinez averaged over 20 points a game for the Raider boys basketballers, and when it's named All-State in both 1979 and 80, The standout in Brownell Talbot volleyball history is six-footer Olivia Pace, who was a two-time All-State honoree in 03 and 04. Raider football had its best era in the late uh, 1980s, when I think maybe they even set a regular season win streak. I still need to confirm that. Uh, They qualified for the state eight-man playoffs four times from 86 to 91 and earned top 10 final ratings in the newspapers in 87 and 88. Kenton Duncan and Palmer Barton were All-State defenders in 88 as B.T. pushed eventual champ Spencer Naper to the very end in an 8-man-1 semifinal and were rewarded uh, with the number 2 rating at season's end. In 1991, linebacker T.J. Scribner was named 8-man-1 All-State Player of the Year, even though the Raiders fell to Beamer in the first round of the playoffs. Kicker D.J. Harrington was a consensus All-Stater in 1998. I do not know when Brown L. Talbot began competing on the track. That is usually a sport that new schools get started right away, but I I get the feeling the Raiders may have prioritized tennis and golf in the spring in the early years. The first state medals for BT come in 1984 from sprinters John Sunderland and Rick Waymire. The school's first state track champs come in the late 90s. Michael Brooks won the Class D 100 meters in '97, and Pat McDonald captured the 3,200 meter run the next year. Also in 1998, the Raider girls got on the board with LaDonna Epps' shot put state title. Five years later, the greatest Raider athlete of all time would hit the track wearing blue and gold. Sarah Lyons medaled in both the 100 and 200 in the 2003 Class D state track meet. She matched that as a sophomore in Class C. Then in 2005 and 2006, she dominated the sprints in Class C and beyond. Lions swept the 100, 200, and 400 both years and anchored winning sprint relay teams to titles as well. In 2006, she did not just dominate Class C, but won the all-class gold in all three individual races. This is one of my most confident goat picks of all that I have done. Sarah Lyons is the greatest Brownell Talbot athlete of all time. There have been two military academies that competed in Nebraska high school sports. The Kearney Military Academy, officially called the Platt Collegiate Institute of Higher Education, played in five of the all-comer state basketball tournaments from 1913 to 1922. At first look, their 1913 trip to the one-class tournament Looks the most impressive as they advanced past the first round in what would be uh, Class A by beating Skyler. A look at the 2-0 final score, though, tells us that Schuyler forfeited that game. And the only game Kearney Military played in Lincoln that year was an 18-14 loss to Elgin. So we probably should look... Uh, At their play in the 1915 Class B tournament in the first year of multiple classes, there were three brackets in 15, when Kearney military opened with a 22-1 shellacking of Arnold before falling to eventual state runner-up Minden by a respectable 15-9 score in the round of 16. Pages of History, the incredible 1944 history of Nebraska high schools, lists Vine D. Deloria from the class of 1921, a future Episcopal Archbishop of South Dakota, as the school's most distinguished graduate. Pages calls him a football star, so I guess he's my pick for greatest Kearney Military Academy athlete of all time. The school closed in 1923 after after a fire destroyed part of the campus. In the capital city, Lincoln Military Academy opened in 1908 on the site of a former state prison. Lincoln Military made two short trips to state basketball in 1915 and 16. In the first year, they fell 9-4 to Elmwood and then lost to Wymore in a consolation bracket. In 1916, they played in Class C and went out right away again losing to Talmadge 11-7. The strange thing is, on the NSAA website, Talmadge is listed as winning that game and not not playing again in the tournament. Was a win over Lincoln Military not considered worthy to move on in the bracket? Jerry Mather's 1980 state sports history also includes this anachronism. He has 18 first-round games listed and only 16 teams moving on. A closer look at Mather's list shows Humboldt beating Talmadge 22-0 in the same round. The Talmadge win over Lincoln military must have been a play-in game. A rare, state, uh, a rare in state tournament history round of 64 game. I do not have a name for the greatest Lincoln military athlete of all time. There were three private schools in the state that called themselves academies, and, and I want to include them here. Uh, the one of the three that closed first was the Franklin Academy, Uh, It was opened by the Congregationalist Church in in the 1800s in an early effort to bring high school education to the prairie. They competed in a few of those early all-comer state basketball tournaments beginning in 1916. Their longest stay in Lincoln uh, was in the last tourney they competed in in 1921 when they defeated McCool Junction, Alma, and Chester in the Class G bracket. They lost to Wakefield to finish runners-up. On second examination, though, I started to think that their first trip to state was most impressive. It's, it says in the NSWA history that they played in the Class B bracket and picked up a first-round 12-7 win over Creighton Prep before losing to Schuyler in the second round of the 32-team bracket. Lads named Chadwick, McCoy, and Dean each contributed a couple buckets in that supposed win over Prep, and I kind of thought that made them the greatest athletes of all time in Franklin Academy history. Okay, there's one problem with that. That game was against Creighton High School, not Creighton Prep. Once I suspected that, I started digging into Prep's early state tournament history and found that all of the tourney appearances credited to the Junior Jays before 1921 actually belonged to the Creighton High School Bulldogs. That is significant because it puts Creighton Prep at 55 state tournament appearances four behind record holder Hastings High instead of tied with them. But back to Franklin Academy. The Academy closed in 1922. The next school in this section uh, is the Lincoln Cotner Academy, which was probably a high school associated with Cotner College, The college was founded in the 1800s and closed in 1933, and that fits with Lincoln Cotner Academy's only state basketball appearance. They played in the Class F bracket in 1920, defeating Coleridge before falling to Wayne 9-5 in the quarterfinals. A young man named Strain was the high scorer for Cotner in both of those games, and so I guess that makes him the greatest Lincoln Cotner Academy athlete of all time. The last and most successful athletically of these academy schools lasted until World War II. Classes at Hebron Academy and the Associated Hebron College were first organized in, the 1911, in 1911 by the Evangelical Lutheran Synod of Ohio. Uh, Heberton Academy played in seven Cumbers tournaments from 1917 to 1927 and qualified for the 1925 tournament by finishing second in the Class A district at Fairbury. Uh, Their most successful trips to Lincoln were 1923 and 1926. Both years, they competed in the Class H bracket. In 23, they defeated Holmesville, Bartley, and Big School McCook, before falling to Neely in the final. A lad named Gruber had six for Hebron Academy in the 10-9 to championship loss. In the 1926 big tournament, they went a step further, sweeping through Litchfield, UTAN, Crawford, and North Bend to take home the Golden Ball State Championship trophy. I wonder where that trophy is at now. Anybody in Hebron have any idea? The Hebron group led from start to finish in the 19-13 final victory as a guard named V. Hoffman led the way with six points. I think that makes the mysterious V. initial Hoffman the greatest Hebron Academy athlete of all time. And that leaves me with just one more school on my list, at least until I hear a story about other non-traditional schools. It's possible that there was a high school connected with Wahoos Lutheran College that maybe should be on this list. I'll, of course, need to keep digging. Uh, We've been through the alternative schools, the state and federally funded schools for special populations and purposes, uh, the high schools on college campuses, the boarding schools, and whatever those academies were. Uh, We have looked, uh, oh, and the military schools. (laughs) We have looked at some that seem to be combinations of a few categories. The one we have left has its roots somewhere different. It's in the church school controversy of the early 1980s. I remember news coverage focusing on a school in a Baptist church in Louisville that was fighting the requirement to be state accredited. Well, there were several schools like that, and in, in, in Lincoln in 1980, uh, a similar one was started by the Calvary Community Church on North 1st Street and named Park West School. That name was ser- soon changed to Lincoln Parkview Christian. The school joined the fight with state officials over accreditation and certification of teachers. In 1983, a court ordered the school to shut down, but in 1984, the Nebraska State Legislature passed a law allowing parents to opt out of state accreditation requirements, and Parkview Christian lived on. Athletically, the Patriots of Parkview Christian, who wear red, white, and blue, competed not in the NSAA in the early days, but in various church league circuits. The Patriots would show up in the sports pages from time to time, finishing third the uh, in a regional tournament of like-minded schools in Kansas City in 1986 and 1987, and competing against Morningside Christian School in Sioux City playing and playing in a national Christian schools tournament in 1990, and joining something called the Heartland Christian Athletic Conference. In the mid-1990s, though, outside factors forced changes in the school and in the sports programs. The school was financially struggling and losing enrollment. Parkview Christian officials decided to seek state accreditation, uh, the same accreditation they had fought against early in the 1980s. This would allow their graduates to go on to state colleges without taking high school equivalency exams and, more importantly for our purposes, make it possible for them to compete in Nebraska high school athletics. I am not sure when they officially joined the NSAA, but I know they were competing at the Ed Weir track meet in Superior in 1997 and playing an NSAA volleyball season that fall. They lost to the friend Bulldogs in their first ever match. The school had a great piece of early success when the Patriot volleyball team qualified for the state tournament in 1998. That remains the only trip to state for the volleyball program. In 1999 the Patriots went 3-4 and four playing football mostly against JV teams. In 2000, they played a full varsity schedule, and in their third season, they won their first football game. They beat Omaha Brown Talbot in September 2002, and then played their first real home game on the school's new field the next week. I had a chance to talk to a Parkview Christian grad who graduated in the transition from the church league into the NSAA, and he said it was a little bit of a letdown. I mean, they were excited for it, but those church tournaments, they were all weekend, and they would get to go and stay in motels and travel a lot, and and playing the regular Nebraska high school schedule just didn't have the same zing. Nevertheless, by 2007, Parkview found itself qualified for the state eight-man football playoffs. Something they could never do in those church leagues. Uh, they've made five more trips to the state football playoffs since, beating Humphrey for the only playoff win in school history in 2012. They were led that year by the only football All-Stater in school history, Jarrett Polifka. In 2020, they shifted to six-man football. The greatest girl athlete in Parkview history, I think, is Sarah Mertens, who was a consensus All-State volleyball pick in the fall of 2010 after she had captured the Class D high jump crown the previous spring. Mertens is the only girl state track medalist in school history. On the boys' side, the Patriots have been more a presence at state track. Uh, Jordan Terrance won the first medal in Patriot history in 07, and then followed that with two the next year, all in the jumps. Henry Tanksley is the only champion for the boys. He won the 2016 Class D 400 meters. The 6'3 Tanksley is also Parkview's only two-time basketball All-Stater. His career kicked off a golden age in Patriot basketball. He led the boys to the state tournament in 16 and 17. Parkview Christian returned to the big dance in 2020 and led by All-Stater Jamie Junkel, the Patriots advanced to the Class D2 final where they lost to Mullen. They topped that last fall when two new All-Staters, 6'5 senior Mark Luile. And six foot two junior Jaheem Curry powered Parkview past Loomis, O'Neill Saint Mary's, and longtime power Falls City Sacred Heart to capture the school's first ever state basketball title. I don't know why I said last fall, last winter in two thousand and twenty one. We will keep an eye on what Curry accomplishes this year. But so far, I think, the greatest Parkview Christian athlete crown belongs to track and basketball standout from 2017, Henry Tanksley. Okay, as I said earlier, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Not only is Wahoo Lutheran sitting out there, but I would almost guarantee uh, that Bellevue Christian and Omaha Christian, Central Christian, some of its various incarnations probably belong in the same category as Parkview Christian. But I'm still going to cut it off here and move on uh, until next time follow us on twitter where our handle is at suitupvarsity, varsity or check up our check out our webpage at suitingupvarsity.com let me know what you think of my picks for the best athletes of these non-traditional schools or if you have a non-traditional school i should include in this list by all means jump on those places and, and, and contact me we hope you, to hear from you soon Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you find podcasts. It helps others find our show. Or, probably better off, share one of our episodes on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever social media you guys are into. Help other Nebraska sports fans find our podcast. This has been Suiting Up Varsity. Episode, I don't know what number this episode is. We're getting close to 40. Written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Technical and research assistance by Tate Mays. Helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai. And as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history. And the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2021.